Welcome to the next episode of American Filmmaker. On this episode, we're going to talk to a cinematographer and filmmaker who also produces from time to time when he really loves a project, Dan Fisher from Chicago, Illinois. How are you doing, Dan? Doing well. So I wanted to get you on the podcast to talk about the creative journey of making films and making commercials and being a working freelancer as well. I got a couple questions for you, so let me know when you're ready and we will get started. Ask what? So tell me a little bit about growing up in Chicago and when you first started noticing some of your creativity and then maybe how that led you to film school. I was always very creative as a child. My parents luckily had helped me with that and they constantly, they always had like a dress up cabinet play-doh and you know arts and crafts and all kinds so i was always very artistic that's uh, most of my childhood we did that my dad was very uh in the like super eight and he always had a camera around and uh when high eight video came out he bought one and we used that all the time as well we'd use the old super eight projectors and, and, and eight millimeter projectors and and then when we started getting in the video stuff or what, like, so it was always around that. And then I would say maybe junior high, I started making little shorts with uh, my brother and his friends. They're older, four years older, and we would make little terrible short films or whatever, kind of genre, little pieces, copying off movies and such. And then I was fortunate enough to do still photography class in junior high. And then when I got to high school, we had a broadcasting class where they had more equipment and, and such in a studio. And we we would start making shorts there. I would just ditch classes to go work on that stuff. And I think my parents weren't quite excited about that but at the same time they're happy i was into something and it just went from there and when it came time to figure out about college my parents really wanted me to have a degree which i honestly don't even have on my resume now but that was important to them and when i wanted to go to film school they're they're like wow dan's excited about something with school because <laughs> i just did the the creative bit that's all i ever wanted to do so uh, really, that's all I've ever done. I always say it's more of an addiction, you know? Like, I, I, I couldn't visualize life without doing and creating things. So then where did you go to film school, and then what kind of things did you work on or learn there that that helped on the journey? Went to film school, SIU, with, with you. <laughs> um, met a lot of great people I still work with and, and talk to all the time. It was an odd time because it was right before digital and HD and stuff came out. We were learning all film stuff. We never uh, really did any digital until the very end, like the last year or so is when nonlinear editing was first out. <laughs> so Go Final Cut Pro really 1. Con convergence weird place with that. But we, we learned... I'm not a writer, but we learned the storytelling and, you know, we, we, we learned 
all, all about, you know, everything. It just, it all changed when I got out. Yeah, and then I think for us in film school, for any of the listeners who might not know, Dan and I went to film school together, and then I worked on some of my early short films with Dan, and then really working with Dan, I learned how to edit a movie on a Steenbeck, and then we edited films digitally together at SIU, and then moving on, we would go on to make Postales together, and then My Friend's Rubber Ducky, and then Despacho, Last Man Standing, and so Dan and I have worked together for probably over 15 years, you know, uh, humbly and conservatively, I think. I think early on within film school, uh, you gravitated towards the camera. Like you knew that you wanted to shoot and film and be the visual aspect of storytelling. I definitely gravitated towards camera because I I really like uh, bringing the mix of art and science together knowing that technical aspect and trying to make something look beautiful. I always kind of joke that I'm paid to just make people look pretty and that's what I do. But, you know, I had to edit because we couldn't afford to pay editors. So that stuff uh, teaches you as well. I mean, I, I definitely know more. And I don't know, one thing I think I've learned in the, like 20 years or so of being a DP I don't want to direct, but I know and I can clean up for a bad director or if they're sick or tired or lazy or they don't know. I know what you need for the edit, you know, like those things help me. And I worked in a lot of other departments early on, just try to make money, carry on. So our department was one thing I did a lot of worked for years on that batman public enemies like i don't know big big hollywood features all this but those skill sets like they they teach you stuff and i don't know basically as a filmmaker the best skill you could possibly have besides technical knowledge and what is problem solving and working in some of those departments really helps you and then you also know what those departments can do for you and I work really closely in commercial with the art department, and I'll talk to the art director instantly. I'm a tech scout, and I'll know I want talls and whatever on the kitchen counter or wherever. Like, we have a dialogue that I, I, I can work with. It helps me visually to make it look beautiful, and we work well together because we understand what, you know, more or less each other does. I think that's important. But again, I keep that stuff off my resume. I don't, I don't advertise that, but I did it for years. So then moving on from film school and the work that you did in film school, what kind of lessons did you feel like you didn't get or, or maybe you had to learn as you were transitioning into freelance camera, freelance DP, freelance cinematographer? In a way, you've worked everything from TV to features, indie features, uh, studio features, bigger TV, and then also larger commercials. Like I think you have a Home Depot commercial out now, or is it Lowe's? Lowe's. Yeah. Lowe's. You have a Lowe's commercial out now. So It, it plays at like every football game right now. <laughs> nice. Um, so if you're watching I, football, you you are also watching the work of Dan Fisher. I, you know, I think... I think we went to a really nice film school and we had some really good teachers. 
but they didn't understand the industry and it was much more on the indie side when you get into like studio or like i mean if you're working for warner brothers or, or tv or fox and, and and sony or whatever you know we didn't we didn't learn how to read a call sheet in film school which i find a little odd but not quite important i mean they they, they taught us problem solving and just try to teach us how to make a film i don't i don't quite think you need to go to film school to be a film laborer and work those you learn that on the job kind of style but we didn't really learn that stuff in film school and later on was a bit of a learning curve with that and you just talk to your friends you talk to other people you'd start you know picking up on that which is fine it, it worked but we didn't have a lot of equipment in, in at siu uh southern illinois university we had um we had to kind of learn how to uh figure out how to to do what we want and you know you work on like you know dark night and it's like you have every piece of equipment you possibly could need we didn't we weren't used to anything like that but that taught you like you know how to uh figure out and 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 carry on one of my favorite stories is how you learned to use the china ball and like where the use of the china ball came can you talk a, a little bit about that or being able to absorb that? You know, because in a way, you don't really go from film school to director or film school to editor or film school to, you know, cinematographer. But there's a little bit of work in between when you leave film school and then when you kind of start really working and then when you really become the thing you want to be within the film industry. Yeah, the first time I used a China ball or saw it was on um, uh, Big Fish, the Tim Burton film. And Philippe Ruslo was the DP. And I was fortunate enough to uh, work on that and be a camera PA. And he was a big fan of it for, like, outdoor scenes. And there was a lot of stuff, like, in the woods or, like, walking in, like, a rural place not lit by streetlights, all this. He would take a boom pole and he put a china ball on it, and he would. That's how he would light, and he would physically do it himself because he just want. He knew how he wanted them lit for the shot and such. And I loved it. I mean, it looked beautiful. It was just this very soft, warm light. Loved it. Uh, started using it uh, eventually on other stuff. And I don't know. Now technology's gotten way different. LEDs become more of a thing and all that. I love China balls and I still use them. It's, it's quite a bit difficult to uh, direct that source. It really worked well for us for like rubber ducky. We we're just trying to light a whole apartment and we couldn't just do light boxes over the whole apartment. We just, we didn't have the money. We couldn't do it. And we could do this and I could just put some black over and I could direct it a little bit. It's a nice quality light. I, I, I really do like it. LED's taken over some of that, but uh, if you can't afford it, I mean, you got to figure out stuff. Like those uh, China balls really uh, made a difference for us. Yeah, and then Dan was talking about the film My Friend's Rubber Ducky that we made a couple years back, and it is a spiritual stoner comedy available on Apple iTunes, YouTube, Google, everywhere that you can stream a movie, I believe. 
but you you can see the wonderful images made by the china balls in that movie postalis too we used it oh yeah postalis uh, too postalis is on uh, amazon there's a bunch of scenes at night in the plaza bits and stuff like by a fountain all that there's large areas and we didn't have enough money we didn't have generators we had to do as cheap and efficient as we could and we would just throw up like six china balls and man you could light up that whole plaza pretty well and it was a nice soft even warm light it looked great so then that's that's more of your your feature film work so then when you're shooting a commercial which is for a lot less shooting days how do you approach that it depends on the job i mean um you, you you have to be a little bit more safe and be prepared to make quick changes because you have a client and agency that will demand something they want and they don't necessarily have to understand what they want so you always want to be over prepared try to read their mind as best you can early on and walk into that scenario with okay i have three options of how i can do this so you start somewhere you want and then you have them look at it do they approve it do they like it like you read off them a little bit you have other options you could change stuff but again it's all problem solving things mess up always i mean you're bringing Half the time, a, a generator, uh, all this equipment, maybe equipment fails, generator's not working, like, I don't know, stuff happens. You have to be able to figure out other scenarios of what you can do to pull it off. Uh, so being quick on your feet, being patient, and no attitude, That, that that's ideal, you know, uh, in, in my mind. That Zen state that you're talking about, the kind of no attitude and all solutions and problem solving, is there a way that you keep or or maintain that? Because that is something that is real. And I feel like being being creative on a set, you're always trying to keep it the best you can when the obstacles arise. I, I know in the email you sent me and you're asking, you talked about Boy Scouts and stuff. I think that's one thing that helped me with some of that going through Boy Scouts, becoming an Eagle Scout, and it really did teach you, like, survival. I, I went f much further in that, but teaching, like, uh, or learning the survival stuff, like, it's all problem-solving. How am I going to keep warm? How am I going to do this? How am I going to get water, food, like, whatever. Like, you can, you can think quick and smart and efficient, and... That really helps with filmmaking. I think, uh, I, I don't think there's a shoot day I've ever been on where everything works well. You know, something always messes up and you got to figure out how to make it work for what everyone wants. So how long do you think it took to get to the optimal place where, where you were... <laughs> I yeah, don't think you'll yeah. ever get there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 I agree. Let me rephrase the question. <laughs> you know, going from a film student and then going, oh, I need to make a, a, a reel. I need to make a reel that reflects the kind of work that I want to get. And then going from there to then working on some of that work and then 
moving on to being able to be at the top at making some of the decisions that I mean, help create the work. The thing is, you always have to be willing and wanting to learn. Technology changes, equipment is different. You have a different scenario. Like you have to just keep learning. And I, I don't think I'll ever want to not keep learning. You just gotta, you know, you have new challenges, different things. That's, you know, I, I really could give two shits about like some of the stories in a commercial that I do, but I like the challenges that it brings up and I got to figure out how to do that and make it look cool. Yeah. That makes that, a lot of for sense. for me is enjoyable. You know, I'm yeah. really, I, I, I enjoy that. So I don't think you'll ever stop learning and I don't know. I'm turning 40 in August. I, I still don't think I've figured out life yet. You know, I, I have a career. I've only worked in film. You know, people respect my work and I keep continuing going there. But uh, it's a con- consistent learning curve without a doubt. And then on the side, I know that you make films with a couple filmmakers, myself included, but then also Justin Hayward. Could you talk about you know, what kind of fun that is to be able to make films with with your friends that are also working, you know, at the top of their field. Because I, I really love Justin's work. It's always nice to have that relationship with a filmmaker, director, whatever, where you can kind of read each other's minds a little bit. If, if Justin kind of briefly describes what he wants something to look like, I know I can, like, pull that off. And he's very particular and very technical, but we can read each other's mind a little bit, you know, so you just work quicker. And I always like to call it like, uh, the dance, you get in that relationship and you guys can dance well on set and you don't have to say everything that needs to happen. You just kind of read each other's minds a little bit. I think that's important. And learning that with a new director or filmmaker or whatever comes at a curve. Like, sometimes you can click right away, sometimes you don't. But when you don't, it takes a little bit longer. And maybe things are a little bit more difficult. And then for people who might not know, Chicago is a TV town. There's Netflix is going to start building a studio there now. So it's now not only a, a TV town, but a feature town. It's got wonderful, it has a wonderful theater scene, which allows for a good improv scene and like a talent pool of actors. And so can you talk a little bit about working in Chicago as a freelancer? And then what is the dance as a freelancer? Yeah, I mean, there's a great town pool here. Obviously our, our, our theater scene's really huge. A lot of great actors came out of Chicago and started their career here comedy and all kinds we were much more of a feature town but the last like seven years tv stuff really started taking over dick wolf has like what five tv shows that have been going for like seven years and more keep popping up we have pilots and all that netflix is uh building a new studio so more will come and uh, they have a surprising amount of content that i'm always uh flabbergasted by so we'll see what they end up doing a lot of good talent a lot of good equipment 
like people really know but right now i think if you talk to most most people working like career stuff uh here in film they would say it's a tv town we'll see how long that lasts i mean features still keep coming through and other work there's a lot of people i just i I just shot on chicago fire last week there's a lot of people i haven't seen in years and they couldn't wait to see me and talk to me. And I'm like, you just been on Chicago Fire? Uh, yeah, I've been on it for seven years. I'm like, wow, man, that's a career. I personally wouldn't like to work on a TV show that long. But, you know, I get it. Everyone's got to pay the bills. And, you know, it's not a bad job. I mean, it was fun to see the other day how nice everyone was being. And, uh, like, cheerful and excited. And it was like, it was a cold day. We were outside all day, but still people were just good spirited. And that's something you get in Chicago. You, you won't see that in other, other cities so much, I feel. What kind of work are you working on now or trying to work on or like th- thinking about right now? Do, do you want more of, you know, some more documentary stuff or like maybe more more commercial stuff or just maybe stuff PJ produces or Claire produces. And then maybe could you even talk about having a working relationship with producers too and how that can be helpful? Uh, a producer, PJ officially, works at Capcom. He just sent me a script the other day. He's doing another TV pilot teaser. He wants to shoot in May. I haven't read it yet, but... Um, I already told I, I know a bunch of the actors and who wrote it and all that. I was like, I'm in, whatever. I, I like to do some of that. I'm just starting to get the itch to want to do another uh, feature narrative or so. But um, doing the indie side and stuff, it, it, it's a little... It's painful. I mean, well, it's, that's yeah, the reality. It's, it's really I mean, difficult. I, I think it's taken me four years to be ready. I did two features back to back like four years ago, and I, I'm just starting to get the itch again. But I've only wanted to do commercials since that. I, I work enough and all that. That is very real. And, you know, the point of the podcast is to, you know, just help people understand the illusions and the reality of, of trying to be a filmmaker you know, and an American filmmaker at that. And then the American filmmaker comes in so many different shades and colors. And so just knowing what you have to do to survive to kind of produce the work you want to produce. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm finishing a short film right now with Justin Hayward, director, and I'm doing a music video as well for a band, local band good enough resources like sony gave me a new uh, large format camera got to shoot a whole bunch in large format with large format lenses just to test it out so i decided to do a music video how'd that Still come about to... that seems pretty cool i mean that doesn't happen to someone fresh out of film school no without a doubt it, but it's again it's all establishing relationships so you know people know me you get these opportunities and such you can start asking for favors, but uh, you also got to be careful <laughs> just not take advantage, you know? Yeah. But that was really cool, so we decided to do this, and uh, we still haven't finished shooting it, but uh, we started. So that was fun. Got a short going with that with Justin, uh, the director as well. 
still have to shoot the end scene for it, but um, you pick up little side creative projects or whatever I can fit in through the time, and through our favors and resources, we can we can do it well. I know that you recently started some acupuncture. Maybe we should try to end on the acupuncture stories. It'll <laughs> I be need the to health. Come back to it. Yeah, it'll be I, the health uh, and spirituality section of this episode. <laughs> no, and that's a, that's another thing in life. Like you know, as, like I said, I haven't figured out life yet. Right? I'm almost forty, but acupuncture slowly making me a little bit healthier and making better life choices. I think uh, you can't forget stuff like that. It's real easy to go on set and work on Batman and just eat Cheetos all day. (laughs) That's a possibility. You could do that. I think film sets have gotten healthier in, in the time I've seen throughout my career. You know, some people make whatever decision they want. So at some point, you got to figure out where you need to be. You know, you can't eat lemon heads all day or, or whatever, you know. Yeah, that Junk definitely sounds like a diabetes. Like Justin Hayward, the director, and me, when we work together, very often, I'll eat breakfast with him on set. We'll have like a little bit of protein, a little bit of fruit, and then I'll snack on some veggies through the day. He will too. But lunch comes, and we don't even eat lunch. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll have, like, a very small salad or something. But I, I always feel like a heavy meal slows you down. Uh, in the commercial world, I think you can get by with that because you're not shooting every day. Uh, if you're doing a seven-month feature, you know, you, you'd more or less be not eating <laughs> if you did that. But I don't like a heavy meal when when we we shoot. So me and Justin will just we'll, we'll have like a real light thing, and we'll honestly just go walk through set when it's empty, talk about the rest of the day and what we have to accomplish. And I always feel with that light meal and staying that way, we uh, we can accomplish it much quicker, much more efficient. If you like meatloaf or something like that, I mean everyone's going to be like dead tired and sleepy and they're going to work half speed. I hate that. Never a thing for me. But I like that. The eating tips to stay efficient on set. Well, and yeah, I mean, and you are draining you know, so much creative energy that you do need good, good vitamins to just replenish it, to keep making good decisions. Without a doubt. And it's, it's also, you know, people, be, again, back to like being an Eagle Scout and all that, be prepared. Like you're shooting outside and it's cold, it's winter, it's snowing, it's raining, whatever. You got to be prepared. You got to have the right clothes, wardrobe for it and not let that affect your job. So is there one story that you want to end on as like a closing story? Even a parable, whatever, <laughs> however you would like to end this this episode from the front lines of being a director of photography. I don't know if I necessarily have a story or, or, or what, but we're, we're paid to make things look beautiful. And quite often you're not given the tools you need to do it or you know you could do it with. 
So you got to figure out what's the best case scenario I could do with like half the money I need and half the equipment I need. Kind of got to accept that and, and and enjoy that challenge. You, if you enjoy that challenge and you can make it work, you're doing it right. Thank you for listening to this episode of American Filmmaker. The song we're listening to is called High Noon and was composed by Michael J. Deller, John Carbonella, and many of the great musicians that Mike Deller works with. Postales was my first feature film that I created with Dan Fisher and many other wonderful people. Enjoy the song. Enjoy the song.